Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Greetings, cartoon connoisseurs, and welcome to the Animation Conversation, where we explore the art form from pencils to pixels. And now, here are your hosts, Rusty Shackleford and F. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with uh, my co-host. What's up, party people? It's your old pal, F. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about obscure cartoons, obscure yeah. animation. Uh, so what? So what have you got for us then? So what? 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 What is your? What is? What is your obscure or uh, unknown cartoons that somebody might not have heard of? Well, uh, I'm. I'm really. Um, I'm happy we're finally talking about this again because we started doing this a few weeks, talking about this a few weeks ago, and um, the internet decided to um, crap out on us. But yeah, it's. It's kind of weird because animation, unlike live action, is such a tricky thing to put together. And it it's so labor intensive and costs so much money and has so many moving parts to it that it surprises me that there are cartoons that kind of slip through the cracks and and, um, you know, kind of go the way of the dodo and, and people just kind of forget that they ever existed. Um, so, which is, you know, again, when you consider just how much money and time and effort and, and, uh, labor is spent making cartoons, it just, it surprises me that anything ever disappears. But, um, um, well, what, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, it's, you know, I, I don't know if I can count it as obscure because I know it's got a cult following. Yeah, but it was one. It was one of the first sort of uh, big things to come from Nelvana, and that is a, a feature film called Rock and Rule. Rock and Rule. I was going to mention Nelvana period in this obscure thing that we're talking about because if you go look at their like their list of everything that they've been a part of, uh, some of it is you know pretty known, but then you look through their whole list and you're like, well, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. They have so many uh, unique different things. Well, they they're it's a Canadian um, company, um, and um, you know the the they they really did sort of they were at the at the cusp of a of a lot of cartoons, but they've they've always you know they started out particularly in the in the seventies and early eighties and whatnot they did some wonky stuff, yeah, and we're we're too small town to um, to. Uh, put up any images because we don't want to get any copyright strikes or anything like that. But just just do a Google search, do a Wikipedia search for rock and rule. And it what was kind of groundbreaking about it was um, it came out in 1983. And I remember seeing ads for this as a kid. I was about 13 years old and it it blew my mind because it was very, very clearly not for kids. It was. for Yeah, yeah for sure. And. I was marginally aware of this thing called heavy metal, uh, that, that animated movie, but I think I had actually seen bits of heavy metal at the time and found it not to be particularly interesting. Whereas I would see clips for rock and rule and be like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool looking, but something about the style really freaks me out. <laughs> like it scared me a little because yeah, yeah. I was I was just barely 13 and so seeing cartoons that didn't look like what I had grown up with you know in terms of cartoons and what cartoons look like 
um, really threw me for a loop. But it's funny because, I mean, the, the whole plot of it is it's it's like this, uh, you know, dystopian post-apocalyptic future where humans are sort of, um, you know, descended from rats and, and <laughs> other animals so yeah. that they they mostly look completely human, un, especially if you're the, you know, the hero or the heroine of the movie. Um in which case, you know, you look much more human and and they're arguably, you know, attractive. And then all the comic reliefs you can you can still tell are are you know mutated from rats. But uh, you know, again, it's really dark and and it's really like um, you know, it, it was really groundbreaking, I I feel like for the time. And yeah, it's yeah. got it's got this amazing like uh, soundtrack to it it's got songs by cheap trick and debbie harry and lou reed and iggy pop and earth wind and fire yeah, great soundtrack for sure oh and, and again these these were all you know again in 1983 people like lou reed and iggy pop and and you know even uh debbie harry of blondie fame you know th those were not you know those were not your chart toppers those were people those that that was the punk and post-punk era you know so if you listen to those you were yeah you, know, you were hardcore so you know again it was just it was just clear from the very beginning that this movie wasn't um made for kids and it wasn't made for squares and um, yeah. and um the uh the villain is named Mox Swagger, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that, and he's he's clearly supposed to be sort of a parody of Mick Jagger, and his whole point is that he's trying to find some secret musical frequency that'll let him rule the world. Which is, well, that is a paper thin plot when you look at it when you say yeah. it, um, and then just discovers some lounge singer who can hit the note and so of course he's got a kidnapper and it's you know craziness and adventures ensue but um you know again when whenever i've looked at it since then even though the the plot is arguably kind of silly and and by a lot of by a lot of criteria that we have today uh i mean there are huge pauses of just really boring areas where where not that much happens and you know uh there's not that much in the way in my opinion of of comic relief or or even like action adventure yeah. and yet whenever it's on and i start watching it i can't take my eyes away because you know not only is it again it's it's a feature film that at the time the only ones who did animated features were disney yeah that was it. it yeah yeah yeah. it looks completely like the antithesis of disney and so I can't stop looking at it because I think the art style is really beautiful. Like it's it's I think it's a really cool um, art style. And Nelvana went on to do, you know, a bunch of other things. And they they really tried to, I think, sort of run with this art style and make it their signature for a long time because they did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, they where did, if yeah. you watch it, you're like, oh, that's that's them. They did the they did this special called Cosmic Christmas which would come on every Christmas and I would insist on watching it, despite the fact that again, it really kind of freaked me out just by the way it looked. It's these, <laughs> there's this whole like sort of parallel about three aliens come to earth and it's supposed to sort of um, parallel the three wise men going to Bethlehem. And I, I forget what it is they're looking for, but the aliens are super freaky. And then they they did another one thing, another thing. I I think it was called the Animal Link Olympics, and I think that was Nelvana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did they did a lot of crazy stuff. Same same thing. But now this this is the big one for me. They also did the animated Boba Fett uh, short film for the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now again, <laughs> yeah, the very infamous really special, yeah. <laughs> It's, oh, and, and and of course, the, then I believe they also went on to do Star Wars droids, which was a regular cartoon, and by golly, one that I watched yeah. very quickly. But I mean, they did the first appearance of Boba Fett, and it's it's on the show, and it's you know obviously, you watch the Star Wars holiday special, and it is just a fever dream 
with how bad it is and how how just completely out of it everyone is and how everyone ha- clearly hates being there yeah you talk Bye. about like you talk about like weird stuff and weird production studios there was uh one that comes to mind for me so there was uh uh, Her- uh harry nilson had an album called the point i think it was his uh sixth studio album and they adapted his album into a uh a TV show, not a TV show, but with like an animated feature. But it uh, it was the first animated feature ever to air on primetime on U.S. television. So wow. uh, February 2nd, 1971, it was on ABC. It was the uh, ABC movie of the week. And uh, it wow. was Fred Wolf. It was Fred Wolf with uh, Murakami and Wolf Productions or films that did it. So uh, wow. they took uh, Fred's album and they adapted it for TV and they telecasted it three times. So the narrators were popular too. So at the time, you know, in 1971, you had Dustin Hoffman who did the first one, you know, that's the height of right. his career, his popularity. Then you had Alan Barsman and then you had Alan Thicke who did the third telecast. Oh my God. Uh, and then for the VHS release, it was Ringo Starr. So they had Ringo Starr oh, in the, uh, the other one. So, uh, so what it is, it's about this. Uh, the album is, about this uh, guy who lives and he's around. He has a round head who lives in a pointed world where everybody has pointy heads. And I remember this. You remember that? And he has to wear the hat to conceal his pointless condition. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh my gosh. there's like this evil count or whatever who dishonors him, and he has to do this one-on-one game called the triangle toss, where he has to catch triangles on his head. But he has a round head, so he can't catch them, kind of thing. So I don't know. It's a that's a really cool one, and there's like this thing called the pointless forest where he gets sent to this forest and there's these uh big huge giant bees uh they're like bees yeah. uh bee creatures or whatever i don't know that's a really really good one i like uh i like fred wolf i feel like they've uh they've done some really neat weird stuff they actually have uh they back-to-back years they had two uh, they had an academy award winner and then they had an uh, they had a nomination the next year it was one called the box they came out in 1967, and that's another obscure one. So that one is uh, its pretty much just uh, retelling the story of Noah's Ark, but mm. set in a bar with an old man who's carrying this box. And people keep coming in the bar, and they want to know what's inside of his box. And it's just like it retells the story of Noah, and it's called The Box. Oh. Uh, yeah, it actually uh, it got an Academy Award uh, for the Best Animated Short at the 40th Academy Awards that year. So uh, it's only like a, a nine-minute little short, but it's really, really good. Uh, I imagine you could probably find it on YouTube. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll actually link it into the description. But uh, yeah, you can find it on YouTube. So uh, oh, that's I'm, a really, I'm, really neat one for sure to watch. I'm learning more and more. You can find anything on YouTube. Like I, I've literally like um, I've been on a quest lately because you know my my career started out. I, I did a lot of like little bits of animation for uh, semi animated CD ROMs back in the in the mid nineties when yeah I, I saw your Twitter posts about yeah. your Barbie uh, the interactive yeah. book CDs those yeah. were king in nineteen ninety six for me ninety seven when I was in yeah. uh, third grade I was uh, my teacher realized that I was never going to learn anything with all the other kids because I can't when I moved from England I, I'd already been in school for years at that point right. and uh, I got put in first grade because that's where my age was so i was ahead of everybody so when i got to third grade my teacher was like oh here's a computer you you know yeah enjoy this (laughs) well yeah some somewhere in the uh, mid 90s like every single franchise had to have a cd-rom and yeah yeah yeah. it's i you know and i can make fun of them all i want but i mean if it weren't for that cd-rom boom i probably never would have gotten into animation because that's where I learned how to do things digitally and blah, blah, blah. But no, you can find anything on YouTube because, um, yeah, I, I, I brought up, um, you know, one of the things I worked on was, you know, Barbie magical princess stories or something like that, which I did some character designs for. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder if it's on YouTube and by golly, there it is. And, now I'm I'm like scared to look up all the stuff that I used to work on. But anyway, it's all um, there. Uh, anything that oh, you yeah. worked on, I'm sure it's there. And if you can't find it on YouTube, uh, one of the places where I go to find a lot of obscure things or things that I can't find on YouTube is Internet Archive. The Internet Archive yeah. has 
an infinite amount of things. And it's actually funny. Uh, uh, Invader Zim, uh, Yonan Vasquez had taken it and uh, upgraded it to 1080p and mm-hmm. uploaded the entire series to, to Internet Archive uh, underneath his own name or whatever on there. So it was kind of cool right. to see that creators were, you know, taking advantage of Internet Archive and oh, yeah. what it is and, and, and what it's like. You know, I think it's a great thing. Just 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 for the record, because this will come up again. It's Jonan Vasquez. <laughs> Jonan Vasquez. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible with names. It's OK. <laughs> no, I mean, tons of people at the time when the show first started were like, is it is it Jonan or Jonan? I'm like, it's Jonan. It's Jonan. But anyway, Jonan, OK. Um, well, and that's that's another thing that, you know, uh, the, the term obscure, I feel like isn't even doesn't even really mean that much anymore because. No, you, it doesn't. Everything has a second life now on YouTube or on the internet somewhere. Like I said, if you if I can just do a do a quick search and find the dopey little bits of animation I did for you know Barbie as Rapunzel like twenty something years ago, then I imagine everything is there. But what some some of the uh, I put a I put a tweet out earlier about um, some you know what are some other stuff that people. Um, had uh considered obscure and that not a lot of people talk about and i gotta i gotta say uh my buddy uh calco beater uh ruby gloom was uh one that was a Ah. show i remember as a i remember ruby gloom as a property but i don't remember ever seeing a show yeah i don't know i don't remember anything about that at all yeah it's it's little little sad goth girl um you know he described it as kind of sort of a a, an edgy version of winnie the pooh and then um there was mr meaty which i do remember that was a nickelodeon it was a puppet show yeah 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 i remember that yeah it's one of those it's one of those ones that i feel like and again, I, I I was an adult, so I wasn't sitting around watching Nickelodeon. But I I know that I passed by Mr. Meaty a couple of times, and I love puppets. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what I liked about it. So it was at the very end of my watching Nickelodeon. I was fifteen, so it had to really catch my attention for me to watch it. And usually, if right. I caught something on Nickelodeon, it was with my little right. sister. So right. I was watching. I, I actually have a, a backpack with face on it. Face here. Really? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a little. It's a kid's what backpack, you, but I saw it at a thrift store and I bought it. I, I don't use it for anything but carrying electronics around if I'm traveling. But it's it's a neat little backpack. Was was Mr. Meaty any good? Uh, I thought so. I like, like I said, I like puppet shows. So if, if you right. if you if you've got puppets and I think they're you know they don't even it doesn't even have to be good humor. The puppets can make yeah. it funny. The puppets can make yeah. it funny itself if you have good puppets. And I thought the puppets were very well crafted puppets. So I don't know. I, li- yeah. I liked it. It was, it was it was very funny to me. Now, another one um, that uh, a friend of mine, Ash, uh, tweeted out called Doodles, which is D-O-O-D-L-E-Z. And I again, um, I don't know where. Um, where exactly it came from, but I do remember seeing little bits of this here and there, and I, and I couldn't tell you what the plot is. But again, it's one of those ones that I'm I'm just looking at the artwork and thinking, wow, this is really cool looking. How is it that I didn't know about this? <laughs> it's one thing that the for the general for stuff to slip by the the you know Gen Pop, the the uh, average person on the street, it's it's no wonder some of this stuff slips them by, but I was, I was like yeah. knee deep in the industry. This is my job to know some of this stuff. Some of it. And yeah. Somehow some of it. I missed it. Well, yeah. Thank you. know, you're working on what you're working on. A lot of the times there could have been a million things going on around you, but you know, you're for, from what I've seen of the the work that you've done, that's got your name on it. You're, it seems like, uh, I, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like you have blinders on to what's going on and you're just in the zone with what you're creating. That's a good point, and yet, um, no, it's the exact opposite. For instance, okay, um, no, if anything, um, we get, or at least I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I, I know yeah, I yeah. wasn't the only one who felt this way. When you're working on something, you almost become hyper aware of what oh, other people you. are doing because one of the one of the things that I remember was a big talking point when we first started working on Invader Zim was Nickelodeon already had this show called Lloyd in Space which was also kind of obscure. I don't know that a lot of people remembered it. 
I remember Lord in Space. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it had. I'm sure it had its following. And again, it's it's nothing against the cartoon. If it was your favorite cartoon, then bless your heart. It it was, um, you know, very. It was it was a very sweet, very gentle cartoon. Yeah, it and, was the uh, Recess guys, the guys yeah, that made Recess. And, and, yeah. And again, because we were in the same building, or not not in the same building as Lloyd in Space, and I don't I don't even remember if Lloyd in Space was a. I don't think it was a Nickelodeon cartoon at all, or maybe it was. I, I no, it was. Uh, it was on ABC Saturday mornings. It was uh, okay, uh, Disney, Disney. Right. I I remember there was there was you know chatter about oh dear, there's an existing you know green alien kids show, show already yeah. out there. Right. How is how is our green alien kids show going to compete? And of course, we were all just like, um, these two shows could not be any more different. Yeah, they're and very different shows for sure. We we were already pretty sure um, that Zim was going to blow Lloyd in space out of the water with not a lot of effort. Um, so so we no when we're working on stuff we like a lot of us are aware of what's going on. And one of the things that when I got my first short picked up. Um, it was Butch Hartman who pointed because it was called the Tantrum and it was a kid superhero and I had a design for him where he was in, you know, red footy pajamas and a blue cape and, uh, you know, yellow insignia on the front of his pajamas. And it was Butch Hartman who pointed it out to me. It's like, there's a whole series of CD-ROM storybooks called Pajama Sam. And he's, and even though the character didn't look anything like my character, the costume was exactly the same. So, so not only did I have to change the costume and change the look of the character i had to research pajama sam to make sure that we weren't doing the same thing because animation has a history of stuff coming out that's at least thematically identical where it's you're almost certain it's not one studio ripping off the other like there was ants and a bug bug's life came out at practice very close at the same time and it was just one of those things where you know nobody was ripping anybody else off i don't think um, but people just get, you know, ideas and, and studios run with things that are inexplicably similar. So, um, you, you almost have to be aware of what's going on out there, lest you, you know, do something. You, if you talk to enough comedians, you know, you'll, you'll talk to them and they'll be like, oh yeah, so-and-so told the exact same joke that I just got done telling on stage. Hmm. And even though they know for a fact, it was nobody ripping anybody else off. It's just, you know, people have similar thoughts and people come to similar conclusions. So, yeah, no, I it's it's one of those things that as a creator, um, I wound up just sort of going, you know what, I, I just I need to create and pitch my stuff. And if I try and give any thought to what else is out there, then the whole process just becomes miserable. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Now, one of the uh, it, it brings me to another one then. So there was a. It's got a really creepy spider on it. I used to watch it with my sister. It was called Mr. Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. And it had a really creepy male spider. Uh he was he was the mean he was like the mean neighbor, you know, like the uh huh. uh like the Mr. Wilson, you know, kind of thing. Like, oh, right. what are you kids doing in my neighborhood? Where he had good intentions, but he just, you know, he didn't know how to how to come across in the right way, kind of thing. And did he uh, though? Did he? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably not. But the uh, the character is a really menacing looking character for a kid's show. It's just a terrifying looking spider. Wow. I can't remember the spider's name, uh, but I, I don't got, know. It's, I, it's just really terrifying. Now, see, uh, my um, my other buddy, uh, Zach, um, he pointed out Robot Boy. Oh, Robot Boy. Yeah. Cartoon Network show. And I, I, I almost don't want to count that as being obscure because I again, I feel like a lot of people uh, loved Robot Boy. And it was one of those things that, again, I'm not sure if they were on at exactly the same time, but uh, or if productions were going on at the same time. But I, I mean, at my life at a t- as a teenage robot, yeah. we were aware of Robot Boy. Because even though, again, the two characters are really nothing alike when you look at their personalities, they're both robots navigating a human world and they've both got this, you know, light gray blue color scheme. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, again, we're just like, uh, what? 
of course, you know, so um, let's see what, oh, you know what? I'm going to go grab something from my collection. Talk, talk about something for a second. And here we go. Think, think of another cartoon that, well, you were talking about, you only briefly um, touched on uh, a while back when we were talking to Pinky, um, Dawnstar. Uh, Brave Star. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Brave, Brave Star. Star. Sorry. Brave Star. Yeah. So Brave Star is uh, it's actually uh, I miss said what it I misquoted who it was uh, created by the last time that we had talked about it. So last time we talked about it, I said it was Hanna-Barbera, but it's actually Filmation. Uh, so it was uh, the last animated series produced by I Filmation. Said. You did say Filmation and I corrected you and I was wrong. So it was actually filmation and it was the last filmation. Wow. So well, filmation did a bunch of the, filmation was another one of those studios that sort of um made their bones by doing cartoons where they they created a, a handful of cycles for a character and just reused them over and over and over again. Like they 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 would they tried to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did. They yeah. tried to out cheap Hanna Barbera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did. They did things like Zorro and Tarzan and a handful of others, and they would literally just. I mean, Hanna Barbera got famous for reusing walk cycles and stuff like that, but man, Filmation really like outdid them. And yet, yeah, Filmation I did a lot of that. Me. So, speaking of really obscure stuff, I, I can't believe uh, I found this recently. One of my earliest influences just as a cartoonist in general, forget about animation, but, you know, just as a storyteller, um, I really loved the comic strip Doonesbury, even when I was Doonesbury. at an age, when I was in an age that, you know, I, I really had no business even reading Doonesbury because it was extremely political. It was and very I, political. And it's funny that you mentioned that Doonesbury. Uh, being something that you remember reading. So uh, I was an odd kid as well. You know, I guess we're both odd people. That's why we connect so well. Uh, so I used to read the newspaper as soon as I could read. As soon as I was able to read, I, be, I started reading the newspaper. So it was a big ritual for me to get the newspaper. And the first thing I wanted to read in it was always oh, yeah. the comic strip. So I would grab the newspaper I would rifle through it and my dad always wanted the the crossword. So I had to get to it before my dad wanted the crossword because yeah. the crossword was always attached to the funny pages. So yeah. I would have to like hurry up, get the paper, get through it, read the comics, and then you know surrender it to the to the crossword puzzle gods. And uh Doonesbury was the one that made me aware of politics, period, yeah. uh, at, at a really early age. And I just really liked it. It was a really it's a really good comic. Well, and um, you know, people forget that there was a there was a time in this country where the sunday funnies those were your saturday morning cartoons because there yeah. were no saturday morning cartoons and yeah man oh man if you go back and you look at some of the um you know some of the earliest comic strips from the earliest parts of the of the last century you know things like Little Nemo and Slumberland and Crazy Cat and Ignatz and my goodness the Popeye those the original Popeye comic strips Popeye comics were Machiavellian in their complexity and and just beautifully drawn and and huge they would like one strip would take up an entire newspaper page and yeah. they were just gorgeous but so yeah right when when I was a young teenager I didn't get what the characters in Doonesbury were talking about when it came to politics, but I loved the character interaction. And, you know, unlike most of the other comic strips that I loved at the time, it was all people and it was just people living their everyday lives. And, and I remember thinking, you know, that's, that's super cool. It's that this is, you know, a comic strip about just kind of regular young people. Well, you want to talk about uh, obscure animation. They did an animated oh, wow. strip and I, I found this, um, I think it was at an Amoeba Records in Los Angeles. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love and, VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, it's you want to talk about your lost media, a Doonesbury special. Yeah, that and, is special. Um, again, it's it's an animated version of the comic strip. And, and again, for the time, you know. I have it, uh, a... Style. 
for obscure i have uh dinosaurs the claymation uh tape dinosaurs and also have the california raisins somewhere in here <laughs> right yeah it's and and now what's funny is um shortly after you know my my um, years of being obsessed with obsessed with doonesbury um bloom county as a comic strip started which was also it was a little more humor based and and uh, you know less political but still very topical yeah. and that that wound up being like like doonesbury was very close to me sort of going oh wow maybe this is what i want to do but then bloom county came out and i was just like oh this is about a thousand times funnier and it was a little more lighthearted. It wasn't so, it didn't hit you over the head with the politics quite so heavily. So, but then Bloom County went on to be pretty much as popular as Doonesbury. And they would get, and people would accuse Burke Brethed, the guy who created Bloom County, they would accuse him of ripping off Gary Trudeau, who created Doonesbury. But later on, they would wind up doing a, um, and it was at the height of Bloom County's popularity that. Uh, and I forget which company did it. It might have been, I'm not even going to say, but they, they did a, a Bloom County Christmas special called a, uh, a wish for okay. Wing world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just remember reading an interview with Burke Brethed where he was like, because Opus, the penguin at that point, well, Opus, the penguin dolls freaking everywhere, Opus and build a cat. And, um, I just remember him saying in an interview that everyone is just freaking out about what kind of voice to give Opus because he had become such a beloved character in everyone's head. And when you're reading something, you know, you're hearing a voice in your head that you think this is the voice of this character. And so, you know, when you commit to animating something and you give them a voice, uh, you run the risk of everybody looking at that going, that's not what he sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which I remember sort of thinking the same thing when they decided, when they very first decided uh, to do a Garfield cartoon. But boy, by golly, they couldn't have nailed it any better than who they got for that. So yeah, yeah, no, they did pretty good. Uh, Rockadoodle, what do you know about Rockadoodle? Yeah, you were yeah. talking. That was a um, that was a Bluth. Yeah, 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 Bluth one. And uh, well, my mom is a huge Elvis fan, so. Uh -huh. Uh, I was kind of drawn to that movie for that. And uh, for people who have never seen it, it's this rooster who has been told his whole life that he's the reason why the sun comes up. So <laughs> he spends his whole life, you know, amped up to, to, to wake the sun up. And then he oversleeps one night or something like that, or somebody drugs him or something. And he sleeps to the <laughs> sun coming up and he wakes up and he sees the sun's sun's up and he's walking around and he's just so disenfranchised by this sun being up and it's not him. So he goes to town and when he goes to town, he becomes like this big rock star or whatever. And uh, it's about these sinister owls and stuff for the bad guys. That's a really, really good one. I like that one a lot. Right. Somebody just pointed out um, on um, on Twitter that, you know, one of the one obscure cartoon that very few people know about that um, that I, I had a really big hand in creating was um, the Bob and Doug McKenzie animated series, which um, I don't know if I feel like we've talked about it, but maybe we haven't. I, and you're probably a little too young to remember who Bob and Doug McKenzie were. But they they were sort of um, they were sort of Wayne and Garth before Wayne and Garth were. Um, okay. they, they were they were on SCTV, which is Second City Television. And it was I know what SCTV is for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it preceded Saturday Night Live. And it was a lot of these like, you know, comedy improv players from the 60s and 70s who put put together a, a TV show. And two of the recurring characters on it were Bob and Doug McKenzie, who were these just yeah. sort of um you know uh uh the canadian version of hicks you know they they were they were <laughs> yeah. two simpletons and they did they did it but they were hugely popular characters and they did a movie that was awesome called strange brew um which if you're ever in the mood for just something bizarre it's and and wonky that's a that's a great viewing experience but uh but yeah i i got hired to oh that's be, uh rick moranis and dave thomas yeah rick moranis and dave thomas yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and it's i mean bob and doug mckenzie with that those are the characters that rick moranis i mean that's where his career got its start so yeah for sure dave, dave thomas has been around and been around for a long time too and just done a, a ton of stuff he's this 
you know, he, uh, he again, with, with the original cast of Saturday Night Live, he's kind of comedy royalty. And yeah, he was in Stripes. That's where I remember him from his Stripes Dave, Dave, and Coneheads. Dave, Dave, Dave Thomas himself, you know, hired me to be a supervisor on the Bob and Doug McKenzie animated show. And it's awesome. I would I would literally because the production was in trouble and they needed someone to sort of unify and supervise all the storyboards and and all that stuff. And so. I remember it very clearly. It was, you know, one of those days he was going over my boards and he, he was saying something like, why don't all the boards look like this? How come, how come? And, and I said to him, I'm like, Dave, I can fix this for you. You hire me as a supervisor and I'll make sure that, that all this stuff yeah. is like, I'm listening. What, what are you proposing? And I was like, every week you and I get together and we sit and we go over the script. And while we go over the script, I will draw out the show in thumbnail storyboard form. And that way you're approving it as we go along. And he loved it. And so for several months, I got to sit next to Dave Thomas and just That's bang awesome. out And there was a period there for a while where the Bob and Doug show was available online, but now I can't find it anymore. But it's really good. It was kind of kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I looked it up. Yeah, so that was, uh, it premiered on in Canada, right? April, like April 19th or something like that, 2009. Yeah, <clears throat> that's pretty cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to be able to try to find that. I'm going to see if I could, uh, I don't know, it might be, I, I, I bet if there, it's going to be anywhere to be found, it'd probably be found on the Internet Archive. I bet somebody's yeah. got it on there, maybe. But I don't know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. That's an inside story. There we go. Oh, for sure. That's a cool uh, one. That's and a cool again, one. by the way, thank you to everyone on on Twitter, um, Isaiah and Eeyore and George and all these other people who have sent in suggestions for stuff. Um, yeah, thank I, you. For I'm, gonna, sure. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but again, it's what's weird is I keep seeing stuff with really terrific art styles to it, and I'm just like, man, I can't believe I didn't notice this like at the time yeah there's there's tons of stuff out there for sure uh there's a really weird one and i guess it's not that popular for a reason but it was called uh fish police oh yeah yeah so so it actually uh it started as uh a comic book uh yep. series steve moncuse i believe is how you say his name and mm -hmm. then uh they adapted it uh, for an animated TV series, it was actually uh, Hanna Barbera that did it, and uh, right, uh, 1992. So what it was is this was Hanna Barbera's attempt at this is CBS, CBS's attempt at challenging The Simpsons at the time, uh, Capital Critters, Family Dog. So this was like all these primetime animated shows. So they developed this show to like go against it. And there's this fish. His name is Inspector Gill, and he works for Chief Abalone at the police department and they're solving various crimes while tangling with uh, the mob boss biscotti calamari <laughs> so it's uh it's it's a really cheesy film noir stuff and like the the inspector gill he does all these you know detective film noir type yeah yeah uh you know tropes right. and stuff like that and uh it's funny because uh it's john ritter who does that voice of him and huh. Uh, there's this shark lawyer in there who's voiced by uh, Tim Curry. And then uh, there's a, a dim-witted, overweight bodyguard of Calamari called Muscles Marinara, who's right. uh, voiced by Frank Welker. So it's got like, it's got some people in here. Uh, Hector uh, Elizondo, uh, he's the one who voices the crime boss. So it's got some, you know, pretty well-known people. Uh, John Winters was also... Yeah. Uh, buddy hackett uh voiced somebody in there so it's got like it's crazy the amount of like great cast it had uh yeah. it it had uh uh joe beth williams uh from the poltergeist movies so right. i don't know it was it had i guess it was just probably just a really crap premise you know what i mean uh, 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 well, a fish you mean detective a really, you, you mean a really carp premise <laughs> <laughs> yeah but see that's the yeah. problem with, that's the problem with shows like that it's like once you get past you know all the fish jokes what are you left with and yeah. and uh it's funny my my mentor over at um nickelodeon larry huber who was the co-creator of chalk zone which, which itself could almost be categorized as obscure 
um, he he was a director on Fish Police, and I remember being aware of the graphic novels, and I remember the the graphic novels being very sort of considered very hipster uh, for the time in the yeah. in the nineties. And what I remember when the when the cartoon came out, I remember thinking this looks absolutely zero like the comic, and I, I was not a huge fan of the comic, so I can't really judge it too harshly yeah. for the other in that regard. But I feel like there was a period there where, and by all accounts, there was a period there in the, especially in the mid to late nineties, where if you did, if you had an even moderately successful independent comic, somebody from uh, Hollywood was calling you up and trying to, you know, license it for animation. And Fish Police just reminded me that one of the, one of those things that did actually did get made and was pretty good, but not nearly as good as the comics, was one called Sam and Max Freelance Police. Okay. Um, created by Steve Purcell. And uh man, the the now the the um the art style of it is in fact, hang on. Oh, here we go. Another inside look. Now, again, you want to see this is if you go back to the first episode of this show, folks, you will hear me swear uh, that I'll never, ever prepare for this show. And so I'm proving that to be the case. Um, not only was was Sam and Max a great series of comics and a really good TV show, um, it was this oh, wow. ROM game. And this wound up being a huge click game. But, uh, Sam and Max hit the road kind of revolutionized, you know, point and click games. And, um, you know, you can just play this game and it's like watching a really funny cartoon of those yeah. two characters. And it was it was on the success of this CD-ROM game that they made the cartoon. So, okay. fun fact, you'll see... It's a LucasArts. Oh, LucasArts game. Yeah, they make a lot of good games. So uh, actually, uh, go ahead. It was this game that made me look up LucasArts when I was still living in Michigan and think to myself, hey, I wonder if they're, you know, I've been working in C. I had been working in CD-ROMs for the past four or five years at that time. And I was I was looking to, you know, I was looking to move onward and upward. And so I got a hold of LucasArts and they're like, well, we're expanding our CD-ROM division. We won't fly you out here, but if you move out here, we'll interview you. And so it was LucasArts Interactive that was that wound up being the sort of impetus I took upon myself to move to or or to travel to California just to go on this interview with these people. And uh, the creator of this, Steve Purcell's wife, was the woman who interviewed me for the job. And she was the one who was like, we really like your work. We think you're terrific. But we're full on. (laughs) But But it was on that trip that driving back from this, this was at LucasArts in San Francisco, driving back from that trip, the, um, you know, big animation convention was going on in LA. That was, and I've told this story before, that was the occasion where I was like, Oh, screw it. I'm going to pull over and I'm going to go to the animation convention. And that's where I met all the people from the Wild Thornberries. And that's really where my career started. So yeah, yeah, all yeah. those things are connected. and some... Connected together. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, they did the Grim Fandango game. I like that. They just did a re-release of that Grim Fandango. And then they did the Secret of Monkey Island games, too. They did re-releases of them as well. Yeah, yeah no, see, again, cool. the same, yeah. same guy, Steve Purcell, I believe, did all the design work on things like monkey island and and that's us at the time i mostly just wanted to do character designs and the idea of doing character designs for these interactive cd-rom games just seemed like heaven on earth to me yeah Um, yeah yeah. and yet now looking back it's like you know uh it's just it's funny the way things went but um yeah i remember (laughs) i remember again back in the 90s if you had an independent comic with two with, with funny characters in it um practically everybody got a call from hollywood saying you know hey can we make a cartoon of your characters and i don't know if you've uh ever heard of milk and cheese by evan dorkin 
No, I've never heard of that one. I'm gonna have to check that it's, out. It's it's literally the pr- the premise of the comic strip is uh, their dairy products gone bad, and it's this wedge of cheese and carton of milk, uh, who who are anthropomorphized, I guess you would say, and they yeah. commit they commit horrible acts of violence, all the while drinking hard liquor and brandishing you know torturous weapons. And he famously even got a call from from someone at either Jim Henson or or one of the you know Nickelodeon or something like that saying we're interested in adapting milk and cheese and he was like you know the characters are alcoholics right and they're like wait what <laughs> what yeah no I mean literally in the nineties the point is literally in the nineties they they would uh, as legend has it you'd get the call whether and they wouldn't even research your stuff you know they wouldn't even bother they were just out for the next big thing yeah well it was funny that you mentioned uh purcell and Nelvana in the same conversation and sam and max because purcell joined with the uh, story editor dan smith from Nelvana are the ones who created the adventures of sam and max freelance police cartoon show so they yeah. actually partnered with Nelvana. So that's funny how just to have it all kind of time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Oh man, at all time. See now, some other people are sending in stuff. Let's see. Da, 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 da. I think he's with Pixar now. He does, he works with Pixar. I'm glad because his art style is amazing, and and he created Sam and Max, and or actually, I think as legend has it, his brother created it. And, but like his his yeah. art style is amazing and just really appealing. Somebody sent in the Mighty B. I don't know if I count that as obscure either, but I guess it is because it didn't last for very long. Do you remember the Mighty B? I don't know. I've never heard of the Mighty B. I'm going to check that one. Let me type that one in. It was I've never seen that one. a Nickelodeon show. It had a lot of people, a lot of really super talented people worked on that show. Some really good friends of mine. Um, yeah, oh, some really good, some really talented yeah, voice actors. Andy Richter's on there. That's he's on there too. Andy, Andy Richter, and it, was, it was created by, and I'm blanking on her name. You're the one who's good at research. Oh, uh, it was created by Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler, yeah, and yeah, and, Cynthia True, and, and then Eric Weiss also had help in it. Right, right, and I I knew both those uh, folks. They they worked, I think, at various times. I'm fairly odd parents. So I would see them every day. And eventually, yeah, they with Amy Poehler uh, sold the the Mighty B. And and I know a lot of like, or at least I think a lot of like people, there, there was sort of crossover from, there were some Invader Zim people, there were some Ren and Stimpy people, there were some, you know, just all, all of the cream of the crop um, yeah. did that show. And yet, yeah, never even with the star power of Amy Poehler behind it, just never, never kind of took off. Yeah, she's funny too. I really like Amy Poehler. I think she's. You know, what, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and judge that. That's not obscure because, um, they like Nickelodeon pushed the hell out of that show. They had 40 episodes. I mean, yeah, it's two seasons, yeah, so, I mean, 40 episodes over two seasons, uh, 39 segments and 35 segments over yeah. the 40 episodes. That's I mean, that's that's substantial, that's, I guess. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to watch. That's a respectable run. And and again, yeah. I remember Nickelodeon pushed the living hell out of it. Like they they got in your home and they ordered you to watch the Mighty Bee. So. And it's not like it wasn't like, you know, critically acclaimed either. They were nominated for six Annie's. It was nominated for two daytime Annie's. It won yeah. uh, outstanding individual achievement uh, in animation. Yeah. Uh, it was nominated for an Ardios and then it won a golden reel. So it's, it, yeah. it, you know, it was, it was, it was, like you said, it was done by people who knew what they were doing. So it, it yeah. Well, and then yeah. there's, I guess, you know, if we're if we're talking about obscure, I did one I did the pilot for a show called Super Noobs, which was a Cartoon Network show. Um, it was about a a group of kids who get some space artifacts that give them powers and suddenly they're sort of they become Earth's defenders. It's sort of like if you and your group of friends were given Green Lantern rings. Um and, okay, uh, that was the guy who uh, did Johnny Test and yeah. Ned's Declassified, uh, yep. Big Time Rush, 100 Things to Do Before High School. Okay, yep. all right, Scott yeah. Fellows. Yeah, Scott Fellows. Yeah, Scott, he he created it, and I did the I did the pilot for it. And again, that's awesome. Didn't didn't uh, 
didn't get a huge following. I actually thought this that it had the, you know, I thought that it had the ingredients for something that um, could have been successful. And um, um, I'm just, well, you know, what's funny is, as as we're talking about both Nelvana and obscure cartoons, I think probably the most um and this this will be my last sort of entry into this um discussion you know one of the most um paradoxically obscure cartoons i ever worked on was the fairly odd parents because apparently and i'm i'm literally just discovering this apparently nelvana was part owner of the fairly odd parents for the first three or four seasons hmm and I have no idea, but I, I, what I can, con so a lot of times, um, you know, that's why it can sometimes be aired in other countries. They'll air the Fairly Odd Parents on Disney Plus or Paramount Plus. Like Fairly Odd Parents can be all over the map because I think it's partially owned by Nelvana, or at least the first few seasons are. And I had zero idea, but it makes sense looking back because, uh, you know, again, at the time that Fairly Odd Parents was gearing up, um everyone at the studio thought that invader zim was going to be the show that was going to go on for a thousand seasons nobody thought or at least this was the impression that i got nobody at nickelodeon thought that the fairly odd parents was going to be a bombastic hit let alone go to like whatever 300 episodes you know so so very largely, I just I don't think people at, at the studio were paying that much attention to it. And consequently, I think that's why the first few seasons of that show are, are as good as they are. Yeah, for no, sure. Nobody was bothering us because everyone had their eyeballs. It, in a weird way, Invader Zim wound up being sort of a sacrificial lamb for us because people thought Invader Zim was going to be a bombastic hit, which I mean, it, by all accounts, it was, but just didn't last that many seasons. But not only did everyone at the studio think Zim was going to be this huge hit, um, the there was half the studio loved the Invader Zim, and then the other half was scared of it, so they kept their eyes on it at all times. So while Invader Zim had a million, you know, sort of studio executives constantly, you know, going over it with a fine tooth comb, we over at Fairly Odd Parents just got to do whatever we do, and because we weren't yeah. doing anything particularly controversial. Um, you know, we got to yeah. we got to have a little more creative freedom in that regard. So, well, from what I read here, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could verify this. Uh, so, Nirvana actually still holds all the rights to the first five seasons outside of the wow. United States. Internationally, they own the first five seasons for Fairly Odd Parents. I had no idea. Yeah, so I think uh, I think uh, the that that that's reason the why I, I don't think they let go of that intentionally. I think Nirvana holds that because of the the success. Maybe oh. maybe that's why they don't have the whole thing is because it did get popular and successful after those first five seasons. And Nickelodeon yeah. was like, "Well, we did a five year deal with you. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and figure out how to internationally distribute this elsewhere, so we make more money off of it." So I imagine it's probably a big money thing. That's kind of that's kind of interesting that Nirvana still yeah. holds those rights. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Who knows? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I feel like we could do a, a whole this is this is perhaps a topic that we should uh, <sighs> from time to time, because for all the ones I did cover, I know there's more that I didn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that was that's interesting for sure. Yeah, no, uh, just hearing some insider stuff. I know everybody appreciates that uh, that insider, those those little stories and stuff, especially about just shows like Super Noobs. If you would have never, you know, if you would have never have told me, I would have never have known. Even if I'd seen the show, I would have never have known that you worked on it. You know that kind of thing. So that's kind of cool well, stuff were, to know. Again, when when we first um, when I first picked up and moved out of uh, Los Angeles, there was a period there where practically all I was doing were, were pilots mm -hmm. and. So, you know, of the pilots I did, Super Noobs is one of the few that, you know, actually made it to series. Um, I, I did a, you know, you want to talk about obscure. I did a million pilots that no one's ever going to know anything about because they're just <laughs> yeah. they're never, never going to see the light of day. And OK, I guess I'll I'll mention um, one more. Um, there's one that um, I did for. Uh, Nicktoons online called a boy and his dude and it's about a kid it's it's sort of a 
it's sort of a well-worn premise where a kid sort of shaves his dog so that the dog can go to school with him and pretends that it's his best friend. His dog <laughs> named his dude, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good. But, but again, never, you know, never went anywhere, probably because there's been, I feel like, at least two other shows with the exact same premise. So, yeah, I found, I found it again on youtube it's on nick yeah. animated short they actually have it on yeah. their youtube page, yeah yeah no so it's it's out there that's you can pretty watch. cool i'm gonna have to check that out that, that it actually looks really cool i mean uh, like you said it's a it's a, a tired trope but i still think that that's like a boy and his ex you know what i mean like yeah. whatever that is but uh i don't know i kind of like it i think it's kind of i don't know it's kind of campy little little if you if you um if you the folks at home decide to look that up um Fun, fun fact about that show. There is a character on the show that is uh, designed after someone that um, I used to work with who just hated my guts. And so uh, at every conceivable opportunity throughout, and, and by the way, made my life miserable as a result. Um, I, uh, anytime I'm given the opportunity, I, I take it to um, put this person in a cartoon and portray them as unflatteringly as possible. And while I was making this cartoon, one of the other people who worked on it was like, wow, this, this background character here, this looks an awful lot like so-and-so. And I'm like, that's exactly who it is. <laughs> and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so I'm like, yeah, they made my life miserable. Me too. And so it was, you know, we, I, I have a really good laugh over that. So if you look it up, check that out, but um, all right, that is now officially my final entry, by the way, thank you to everyone yeah. on Twitter who um, reached out and gave us some more suggestions. We should do this again and we'll, uh, yeah, we should. I like this all out on Twitter and we'll have a whole list ready. Yeah. Well, cause there's so much, there's so much stuff out there, you know, and the more, the more I dig and the, it just, uh, it, it's not that it's overwhelming at all, but it's just so much great stuff that I find. And the thing for me is I had a gap, a gap of time where I wasn't really, you know, watching television. I was worried about working and, uh, I'm a, I was a young dad. So I had my kid, my, my, my first kid at 20. So I was just too busy working and just worried about other things than watching cartoons. So there's a whole slew of cartoons that I'm catching up on too that i didn't watch because uh yeah. i was what cartoons i did watch were uh squid billies and uh robot yeah. chicken and stuff like that yeah. you know i'm a really big squid billies fan i'm a big unknown Hil henson fan uh as controversial as he is i'm a big fan of his voice and uh what he did with oh, it his voice is unbelievable yeah let see you just reminded me again you want to talk about obscure cartoons that i worked on uh-huh one of the most obscure cartoons ever to have given birth to some of the most successful cartoons ever was Oh Yeah Cartoons. I oh, talk yeah, about, yeah. that's where I got my start and, and that's where Butch Hartman got his big break and that's where Robin Zetti uh, created My Life as a Teenage Robot. Seth MacFarlane created a show for Oh Yeah Cartoons. And yet, whenever I mention, Chalk Zone, whenever I mention Oh Yeah Cartoons, nobody knows what I'm talking about, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know that's, uh... Only Steph, uh, Seth MacFarlane stuff too. They don't know about his short on there. A lot of people yeah. just associate Seth MacFarlane with all this raucous and profane stuff when he yeah. actually started, you know, as a, a young guy trying to get his show on, uh, yep. uh, like everybody else. And, uh, your name is, if you go to the Oh Yeah Cartoons page, you can see, uh, John Fountain, Antoine Gabbard. I mean, your name's right there with everybody. So, yeah. no, I, I got in. It's awesome. I got my my cartoon for Oh Yeah Cartoons got the um, last slot of the last season. So oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I, I really I really slipped that in under the radar. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. So, uh, again, everybody, thanks for watching uh, this episode of Animation Conversation. This was our, our obscure cartoon episode. So we're going to do more of these. Yeah. Zigga zigga ah party people. Alrighty. And that's been another conversation with uh, me and F here. Thanks, guys.
And that brings us to the end of another incredible episode of Animation Conversation. We hope you enjoyed this animated adventure as much as we did. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or through good old-fashioned email. We value your input and want to make Animation Conversation a podcast that resonates with animation lovers like you. Our Instagram and Twitter are at Animation Convo. Our YouTube is at Animation Conversation. Our email is theanimationconvo at gmail.com. Before we say our final goodbyes, we want to remind you to stay animated. Keep exploring, appreciating, and sharing the magic of animation with others. Let your imagination soar and let the world of animated wonders continue to inspire and captivate you. Thank you once again for joining us on this incredible journey. Until next time, this is Wubcake, signing off for Animation Conversation. Keep watching, keep dreaming, and keep the animation conversation alive.